sense. Like, why are you breaking up me on Christmas Eve? Out of all now, things. Please. I just, I don't understand it. Hey, 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 Merry, Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. It's complicated. Welcome. How are you guys doing this weekend? Are your Christmases a little bit complicated like that? I mean, I know in Berkeley County, we put the fun back in dysfunctional family, and so we know how to have some crazy Christmases. In fact, just to make Christmas even more complicated this year, my family went to a Christmas tree farm and cut the tree down, toted it back on my shoulder to the truck, and with the help of several men, and we got it back to the truck, the van and everything, strapped it on there and took it home, and then I got home to realize it was very, very crooked on the inside. They had cut it to look really nice on the outside, very crooked on the inside. It has fallen down three times. We love decorating the tree so much, we've set it back up three times. But I told Connie, I thought we had too many pretty ornaments anyway. We needed them to be, you know, broken, a few of them. And she didn't agree, but that's what, that's what I thought. But, uh, hey, it is great to be back here this weekend at Seacoast Church. I want to welcome all of you who are joining from our campuses. I want to welcome those who are joining online. But I want everybody here at Long Point and across the Seacoast campuses to give a huge welcome to those who are joining us right now live in Berkeley County at Freedom Church. How are you guys doing? So great to have them. And um, I miss my Freedom family this morning, but I have to say if I was to be anywhere else in the world, um, being here at Seacoast ain't too shabby. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. But we are this weekend beginning at both of our churches a brand new series called Christmas. It's complicated. And though I am sure that we all have stories that would sort of rival the Griswolds that have happened in our families, it is not what we put on our Christmas card, is it? In fact, we're all going to go to some beautiful place, get our kids just right, get our grandkids just right, take a wonderful picture. Then we're going to Photoshop that some and filter that a little bit, crop that, edit that, get that on a Christmas card. And we're going to send it out and say, this is what Christmas looks like in our home. But the truth is, probably our Christmas card should look a little bit more like this. This is probably more the reality for a lot of our homes, you know, kind of Merry Christmas. But um, that's not what people see, right? We crop it and we edit it down and we kind of make it look uncomplicated. But the truth is, life is complicated. And if life is complicated, then Christmas is going to be complicated as well. But there was no Christmas any more complicated than the very first Christmas. Now, we read the story, we set up our nativity, we tell our kids a story, and it's awesome and it's nostalgic. But let's not forget how complicated it was. Their Christmas started with an unwed teenage pregnancy. There's nothing to complicate the Christmas gathering more than having to announce that at your Christmas gathering. But it was okay, it was all right, because Mary was going to come in and tell everybody that it's, it's, it's fine because I'm still a virgin. It's a virgin conception. And how do I know this? Talk about complicated. Angels came to see me, and they told me that this is the Son of God that I'm carrying right here. Now, let's just be honest. How many of you believe your cousin if she comes to Christmas with that story? <laughs> right? You're looking at people going, 
Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Complicated Christmas. But then it's followed up by a trip on a donkey with a nine-month pregnant woman to go and take care of some business affairs that Joseph probably should have taken care of earlier, but he forgot to mail the check in, so they had to go pay their taxes. Now, I don't know about you. I've had a pregnant wife three times, nine months pregnant three times, and I can just imagine if I said, honey, we're going to need to go pay the taxes. You're going to have to ride on the donkey. It's a pretty long trip. I come out of that trip with a black eye. Do you guys, you guys there? But it's all good because now in our home, if I got a black eye, Connie would say, just put a little bit of oil on it and you'll be all right. You guys, you guys into the oil thing? You guys know about the oil thing? I keep telling Connie, I'm like, these oils are awesome. I love them. But there is a company long before all these companies that had oil down the right way. And what they do is they float these little baby angels through oil all the way down this deal. And then they put glaze on top of them. It's called Krispy Kreme. And they are, <laughs> they've got all the oil you could ever need in your life right there. And it's awesome. And she says, babe, but those aren't essential oils. I keep telling her, they're essential to me. That's right. So I keep telling her, but she, she doesn't believe that. But then we follow that up with a baby born in a stable, uh, making Jesus the very first boy who could actually answer to his dad to the question, were you born in the barn? Yes. He could say, yes, I was. I was born in the barn, and it was your fault, Dad, because you had Mom on a donkey at nine months pregnant. And I've heard the story about that. You came out with a black eye. I know how that worked. But complicated would be an understatement to the very first Christmas. I mean, we think we've got some complicated lives, but Christmas was complicated. But here's the really cool thing about the Christmas story. It's hidden within all the complications and all the things that don't seem to be working out right and all of the crazy stuff that's going on is this incredibly beautiful and simple story. It's just the, the story of simplicity. In fact, it's the simple story of God's favor on someone's life. It's a simple story of, as we really look at it, a supporting family who rallied around this young couple and supported them. It's, it's the simple story, although there were so many unbelievable things and so many complexities to life, it's the simplicity of really just a growing faith in a God who can take the complex and give simplicity to it and make it beautiful all at the same time. And so we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks together as churches from Luke chapter 1, um, what, what we can learn from all of these characters in this story. Let's look at Luke chapter 1 uh, together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on a side screen for you or you've got notes or your smart devices there. But Luke chapter 1, and I think there is within this kind of familiar story a game-changing idea that we need to better understand this weekend that will change our Christmases. In fact, here's what I'm believing. If we as a people of God can grasp these ideas that are in this story, that it will not only change our Christmas this year, but finally Christmas will really change us, going from complexity to the simplicity of of God's beautiful story in our lives. So look at Luke chapter 1, 26 through 32 as we learn together. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus. There are two statements that stand out in this story to me that radically impacted Mary's life and I think had the potential to radically impact your life and my life if we're paying attention to what God did. The first is favored one, favored one. And then the second is found favor. The Bible seems to indicate that there are people who are favored by God. And then also, Mary was favored, we see that, but also even more intriguing is this statement that she found favor. In other words, favor is something that we should seek to find. It's out there. God offers it. We need to find it. And if God gives favor, and if favor is there for the finding, I want to know something. How do you find favor? I want to be a favor finder. I'd ask across all of our Seacoast campuses, right at Freedom Church this morning, is there anybody else out there that says, I want to be a favor finder. I want to be someone who finds God's favor in my life, who finds God's blessings in my life. How do we do that? Well, Psalm 8411 gives us just a little bit of a hint of how someone who is a favor finder lives their life. It says in Psalm 8411, the Lord bestows favor and honor. So in other words, God favors people. We see that again. But no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This verse paints a picture of the posture of someone who's a favor finder. And I think it's a good posture for us to be in this weekend. And that is those who walk uprightly. Rightly, It says we need to walk uprightly to find favor. The posture of a favor finder is walking uprightly. It makes me think of Noah in the Bible. He was another character in the Bible, a man who they said had favor. God said, I have favor on you. And as you see the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, um, eight, verses 8 through 9, it tells us a couple things about Noah. It says, number one, he found favor with God. And it says, how did he do that? He walked with God. And so Noah walked with God, but it also says that he was righteous. So he walked uprightly with God. He was a righteous man, and this walking with God, he in this walking with God, he found favor with God. Now, did you guys see the movie last year, Noah? Did anybody see that? Amazing how much um, Noah looked like Russell Crowe. That was incredible. But I watched the movie, and it kind of inspired me to go back and read the story again and to see the, the biblical inter, uh, story again and just kind of read that and look at it. And as I was watching the movie, as I'm reading the Bible story, here's what kind of hit my mind. I don't know if this ever popped in your mind or not, but I thought, it, it just doesn't seem to be fair. I mean, one man who was righteous enough and walked with God enough to find favor, one family who, who made it through and survived the great flood, everybody else drowned. It's just not fair, is what I thought. And then I felt like God kind of dropped this into my soul, and it's this. Fair is a place where we take dough and we fry it up and we put butter and cinnamon and sprinkle some sugar on top of it and eat it to the glory of God. Any amens in the house over that? That's what fair is, but life is not fair. Favor is not fair. Fair, though, is, is complicated. Fair is complicated. We gotta figure out, did I get enough? Did, did I do enough? Did I measure up? I mean, did they get more than me? Is life treating me fairly? Am I getting all that I deserve? Maybe I need to work harder. Fair is complicated, and I have to work hard to get fair. I have to work hard to get fair from other people. And so a lot of us are working hard for approval from people, going, I just want what's fair in life. Just give me what's fair. Just treat me fairly. Some of you, even this season, what stresses you out about Christmas is you're like, I just want to be fair. 
I want to go to my mother-in-law's house and I want her to treat me the same as she treats her children. And I want to go there and I, want to, I don't want her to cut her eyes at me like she does. And here's why, I want it fair. I want to go to the boss and him to give me the same bonus that he gave everybody else. And I know on the water cooler conversation, they get more than a bonus than me. I want fair. I just want people to treat me fair. You might say, fair, we're working hard for. Some of us are working hard for God to love us. And we're just like, I just want it to be, I just want to be fair. God, just love me. Just let me feel your love. I'm working hard for it. But here, here's what I'm learning. One day of favor is better than a lifetime of labor. Like we can work hard and we can try to get fair, but one day in favor from God is more than all the work that we can do because favor is not complicated. Fair is complicated, but favor is simple. God chooses God gives, but here's the great news following those two statements. God is good. And so as we look across our lives, we go, I want favor from God. And it's simple because God's choosing and I want what is good. It makes us say, let's not seek favor from, let's seek favor rather from a good God and not fair from a bad world. So there's a lot of us out there just going, I just want it fair from the world. I just want what's coming to me. You don't want what's coming to you. You're a much worse person than you think you are, right? You just, you don't need what's coming to you. You don't want what's fair. You don't want to work for what's complicated. It's simple to say, God, give me favor. So as we get into this series, we've got to walk uprightly. We've got to walk uprightly looking for favor. And walking uprightly means this. Walking uprightly means we have an expectancy that God is going to do something in our lives. And expectancy is the breeding ground for a miracle. And there are a lot of people during this season that need a miracle. We need a miracle in the health of a loved one. We need a miracle in our finances. In other words, we need something supernatural to happen in our lives. In a relationship that needs to be healed, there's a miracle that needs to happen in our lives. And expecting God to do a miracle, is the, expectancy is the breeding ground for that miracle. Now, there is hype. And hype is manufactured hope. Hype is when we say you can believe in the better job and you can hope in more money and you can hope in a bigger house and you can hope in a better wife and you can hope in your children. You can hope. That's manufactured hope. It, it ends in just being depressed because there's no hope in it. But expectancy is hope in one who can actually do something. And when we find favor from God, what we're saying is, God, you're the only one who can actually come through in this situation. And when we're walking uprightly, we're expecting God to do something. And so we enter a complicated season with the simple truth that, God, we expect you to be God in our lives. Find favor. Walking uprightly means we have an eye to others. When life gets complicated, we tend to find ourselves in this stance, and that is looking at our circumstances. And so all we can see is, what is around me? How does everything look around me? But when we're looking down at our circumstances, we're not looking up to others. We can't find favor. And so when we look to others, we're going to see favor. We're going to see the favor in those who want to, to be in relationship with us and community with us. We're going to see the favor in those whom we can serve. We're going to see the favor in those whom we can allow to serve us. And we can find the favor from God. But when we look down at our own circumstances, we're not. But favor, walking uprightly, it means that we're looking for an eye to others. Walking uprightly also means this. We're steady and we're ready. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look steady and ready. You're just ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I didn't tell you that because you kind of slouched over. You don't look steady and ready. You were my second choice. 
just steady and ready. The Hebrew word for walking uprightly actually means we have a center of gravity. We're steady and we're ready for what life is gonna send our way. We're ready to bob and weave when we need to. We're looking uprightly. We see what's coming and we're ready to react to life circumstances. We're ready with a strong sense of gravity, not the kind of sense of gravity that you get after Thanksgiving. I'm talking about sense of gravity that's like, I can take it. I can take God, I'm, I'm in your favor, I'm ready for it, I'm walking up rightly. But, but I guess even before we say we want to find favor, and we do, I mean, we can see here, this is favor is something we should find. Favor is something we should be after. Favor is something God can give us, and we need to be walking up rightly, looking for it. But we also need to ask, but what, what, is, what is favor? Before we go on this hide and seek for favor, what is it? This is my son, Hayes. He's almost six years old now, and he loves to play this game with me because he loves to get me, kind of a gotcha game. And he'll come up to me and he'll say, Dad, I'm thinking something. What is it? And I'm like, bro, you going to give me a, any kind of hint, like person, place, thing? You know, do I get three vowels? Like, what in the world? Like, how, how am I supposed to guess this? So I'll play along with him. I'll throw out random stuff to him, just kind of, you, know, you know, like, hey, you know, nine. You know, I don't know. He's like, no, it's not nine. I'm like, Richard Simmons. I don't know. I don't know. And finally, after several guesses, he will go, he'll tell me what it is, usually something involving Star Wars. He'll tell me what it is, and then he'll go, gotcha. You know, and then he walks away in like he's won something or something. So then I just have to wrestle with him and beat him up and show him who's boss. That's what happens then. But here's what I've learned from that. It's not easy finding what you don't know you're looking for. Like, it's hard to play hide and seek when you don't know what you're looking for. So what is favor? We should be favor finders. We say we want to be favor finders, but what is favor? The word favor or a derivative of the word favor is found in the Bible 88 times. If something's in the Bible 88 times, it tells me we should know a little bit about it and what it is. But I think, really, we kind of go with our gut rather than trying to figure it out. And our gut tells us, really, that favor is preferential treatment. So we're going to get preferential treatment from God. In other words, he's going to accept us, approve from us, find pleasure in us, and even more. And I'm not sure that's what, that, what it means as we read the Bible. In fact, what we see is that if we've allowed Jesus to save us because of his work on the cross, he could not accept us more. He could not approve of us anymore. He could not love us anymore and pleasure in us anymore because he's, Jesus did everything to allow God to love us the most he possibly can. And so I don't think that's what favor is. I, don't, I think that, that we've already gotten that from God. God. Another option is that God could just give us stuff. You know, it's like favors. We're going to get favors. Great. I want to get favors from God, but then that kind of makes God more like a Santa Claus. And so we're just asking God, have we been naughty? Have we been nice? And if we've been nice enough, can we just get things from you? And so again, that goes back to work. I need to work so that I get the fairness from God. It's not favor, it's fairness. We don't want fairness. And so I don't think God is a Santa Claus God either. In fact, there's a big difference between favors from God and favor with God. I think it's two completely different things. So then what is this favor? that Mary received? What is this favor that Noah had? What is this favor that we see mentioned 88 times in the Bible? Well, first of all, I don't think we're ever going to fully understand it. I I think something as supernatural as the favor of God and something that we should desire in our lives is something that is so extraordinary, extraordinary, that we can't possibly fully understand. In fact, I don't want a God who's ordinary. If God is ordinary and I can understand him fully, he's not powerful enough to serve as God. He's, he's just like me, he's ordinary, but God is extraordinary. He's extraordinary. So we're never gonna fully understand it, but the Bible seems to give us a bit of a definition of favor and kind of explains it to us through the life of Moses. And I think it's helpful to know what we're looking for. So in Exodus 33, 12 through 15, Moses is having this conversation with God. 
And God has called Moses to a great purpose. He's told him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to lead my people, and I want you to lead them out of Egypt, and you're the man, you're the leader, and I'm gonna use you in a huge and big and unbelievable, incredible way. And Moses is a little bit challenged in this, and he says, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, Moses said, hey, God, I know you tell me that, that you're going to do this through me, but I need to know who you're sending with me because obviously you don't think I'm going to be able to do this by myself. Who in the world are you going to send with me to do this? But you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name. In other words, God, you know who I am. You, you know all of the baggage that I bring in this. You know the talents and the, the skills that I have. You know everything about me, God. I, I, it's a piece of identity it's also identity doing this. We belong to God. You know who I am. You see me. You know exactly who I am. And Moses is just, is just in this point of vulnerability with God to say, God, you know who I am. You know my story, but I'm on your team. And you have also found favor in my sight, God, you say to me. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. So Moses says, look, I, I know that you have this thing called favor, but I need you to show me your ways. In other words, how do I walk uprightly? How do I walk step by step with you, God, with an eye to others, expecting a miracle in my life? How do I walk ready and steady for whatever's going to be thrown at me? Because we know from Moses' story, there's going to be some stuff thrown at him. He says, I want to know your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He says, consider, too, that this nation is your people. In other words, God, you, you made these people. You're in charge of them, so you're going to need to do something with this. And then God says, and he gives us here, I think, a definition of what favor is. So Moses is saying, I need, I, you say that there's favor. I need to kind of get some clarity on what favor is. I think you and I need clarity on what favor is this weekend. And so this gives us that clarity. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Two important words, their presence and rest. And then he said to me, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Moses says, God, that's great. I want to clarify one more time. If favor doesn't include your presence, I'm not going to be resting very well. We shouldn't even try this, God. We shouldn't even go for this. But Moses says, but if this favor includes you coming along, God, I'll go anywhere. I just need to know that you'll be there with me and that I have your favor. Whatever favor is, God, I just need to know you're coming. And I think that's the same thing that we need to be saying to God this weekend. It's God, you've called me to be a husband and a father and a, the pastor of a church. I, I can't do it without you, God. God, God you've, you've called someone to be a mom and a, and a wife and the best mom and wife they can be. We can't do it without you, God. God, we need your presence and your favor in our lives. I can't be the man or the woman or the student. Or, I can't do anything you want me to do, God, if you're not with me. God, you have to be with me. I will go, but I need your favor. Whatever favor is to it needs to include your presence. I tell Connie, my wife, all the time, if you leave me, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I don't care where you go. I'm going to be right behind you going, all right, you can leave, but I'm going with you because I can't do this thing without you. Life is just not, is not the same without you. And we need to be saying to God, God, I'll do anything you call me to do. 
I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I need you in my life. And so that gives us a definition of favor. And here's the definition of favor. Favor is the place where we feel God's presence. It says, yeah, my presence will be with you. And are given God's power to accomplish God's purpose in our lives. It's a place It's a place where we feel God's presence. We come to a place in our lives where we feel God's presence. And I love this verse. It says, when we're in the presence of God, we will have rest. There's no anxiety. There's no stress. It's not complicated. It's simple. I have rest. That doesn't mean there aren't complicated things all around me. That doesn't mean the circumstances aren't very complicated in my life. But it means when I'm in his favor, it's a place where there's rest. So it's a place and it's a pace because our pace of life allows us to rest. And it's a place where we're filled with the power of God that ends in a purpose from God. And so purpose flows from favor. In fact, when we talk about purpose many times, and I know the culture here at Seacoast, as it is at Freedom Church as well, is we talk about purpose all the time. You need to find a purpose in life. You got to have a purpose to wake up. God has a purpose for you. But for a lot of us, we say, I don't have the talent to do something big for God. And we're calling you to do something big for God. We're saying, God wants to use you. And you say, I don't have the talent to do that. You say, I don't have the passion to take on a cause, you see other people taking on causes and you go, I can't be like them. I just don't have the passion to do that. I, I, you say maybe, I just don't think I have the influence to make a difference. I just don't believe that I have that kind of influence to make a worldwide difference. But yet all throughout scripture, when we see the life of Mary, when we see the life of Moses, when we see the life of Noah, when we see the life of Joseph, who was caught in unbelievable circumstances and yet God's favor was all over him, what we see is it's better to have the favor of God than passion or talent any day. Passion and talent can only take you so far, but the favor of God will take you all the way. And if we are attentive to this story here is what we can learn from Mary. In Mary, we see that we do not find our purpose. We don't find our purpose. We find God's favor. And within his favor, he gives us a purpose and an assignment. And when we find God, like Noah, if we walk with him, then we'll find his favor. And to break that down into more practical language, if we will follow him uprightly, expecting something to happen with an eye to others, steady and ready, and we just take one step at a time saying, God, as long as your presence is with me, I will walk with you. Even the complications of life, we will find our purpose in them. Think about Mary's most complicated point in her life became the purpose that ushered in Jesus. Noah's most complicated part of his life became where God used him to reset everything and have an unbelievable plan for humankind. Moses, the most complicated part of his life is where he was able to do the greatest thing for God. It was simply God's favor within the complications of his life. I think about all those characters. Do you think that Mary took a gift assessments test and just as she took it, she got the results out and she's like, well, look at there. Can you believe it? I am uniquely wired up and designed for virgin conception. It's incredible. <laughs> I don't know what happened in the DNA. I don't know. I don't, it's just I'm one in a hundred billion chance. I mean, it's just incredible that I could be used that way. Do you think that Moses, as a kid, just sitting there playing in a mud puddle, and all of a sudden he's like, look at there. 
physics. I understand it, and I can split molecules. It's incredible. God will probably want to use me one day in order to do something big for him. He just had this talent for him. Or maybe it was the disciples who just had this power to understand medicine, and they just touch people and put Krispy Kreme oil on them and all kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, they just raised from the dead. And all of a sudden, they were just raised, and they're like, man, you know what? I bet God could use that in his kingdom. I bet he could do incredible things with the talent and the passion that you bring to it. See, see that's, that's the deal. God did not go draft us onto his team because we have some kind of talent or ability and that we're the LeBron of spirituality. That's not what happened. God looked at us and said, hey, if you'll just stand right here in my presence and you'll allow me to fill you up with my power, I'll give you a purpose and you'll do incredible, amazing, unbelievable, more than you could ask or imagine things. But if you step out of that favor, you're nothing. You simply don't have anything to bring to the game. And God's favor is what brings it, not our purpose, not our talent, not our passion. Now, I can hear some of you, though. You, if you're in tune with me, you go, okay, sounds good. It's favor of God thing. Sounds great. But, but here's the deal. What if I don't have that favor? Like, what if somehow I just missed it? Like, God was doling out favor, and, and I wasn't there at the right time, or I've just done something that has allowed me not to have favor, and here's what I'd say, then you don't understand who you are. You just don't have a clue of where you stand with God. The Bible, because here's the thing, the Bible does not say that as a Christ follower, we will be blessed by God. It doesn't say that. What the Bible actually says is as a Christ follower, God has already blessed us. He's already given the blessing. He's already said you're favored. He's already said you're a son and a daughter of the king. He's already said, here's where you stand. And so in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, if you think you're not walking in the favor of God, either you're not a Christ follower yet, and you can change that today, or if you're a Christ follower and you think you don't have the favor of God, you just don't understand that identity comes before activity. See, who you are in Christ is answered long before what you will do in, through in, what Christ will do through you. In fact, we don't need to be asking, what does God want me to do? We should be asking, who does God want me to be? And who does, more importantly, who does he say I already am? And when we're able to do that, we, you, you understand God's outlook on you. And when you really get God's outlook on you kind of deep in here, it changes your outlook on life. I experienced this this week. We are building a building right now at Freedom Church and uh, going through that whole process. And if you've ever built a house, if you've ever been a part of a building uh, with any kind of church or business or anything, that you, you have meetings pretty often with the general contractor. And meetings with the general contractor, all, contractor always end in, and that's going to cost this much. Like it always does, like always. Like it never, never doesn't go that way. And so you start with one price and you go, okay, that's a stretch, but then you end up with another. And, and I want to tell you, over the last couple of weeks, I've just been wigging out. Like, I mean, just totally wigging out. And so my wife comes to me and she's like, hey, we got an appointment coming up with our counselor. We do every six weeks. We meet with Pastor Chip Judd here at Seacoast and he really helps keep me straight and keeps me on the right path and walking uprightly. She's like, I think you need to take most of that time because you're 
you're just a little stressed out. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. And so I go in, I tell Chip all about it and tell him all about it. And I'm just saying, man, this is what I've got to do. And so I need to meet with these people and I need to go here and meet with these people. And I need to pray that God would provide. And I know he's going to, but I need to pray more than he would. And I need to go ask some people. And I, I just talk all this stuff. And he's talking, he goes, hey, hey, you've lost sight of something. You forgot who you are. Did God call you to plant freedom? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Did God tell you to build this building? Yes, he did. Is God gonna take care of you? Yes, he is. Is this an unseen thing? I mean, a seen thing, but there's unseen things down the way? Yes, it is. He's like, you don't believe that. You're saying yes to all the questions, but you don't believe that God really loves you. You're not resting. And when you're resting, you're in favor. And I said, you know what's funny, Chip, is for several months now, I've had a sermon ready that I'm preaching this weekend, and I just haven't lived it. Preachers can do that sometimes. And I figured out that my identity comes before my activity. Who I am really matters a lot to what I'll be able to do. And here's what I know about you because I know it about myself. God has big plans for you and wants to use you in big ways. How do I know that about us? Because Jeremiah 29, 11 tells me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now that's a promise made to Jeremiah, but it's got a principle that is applicable to us as the church that lives now and the people of God. And that is that God's got plans for us. He's got blueprints already drawn out. He's already decided how he's going to take care of Freedom Church. He's already decided how he's going to take care of Seacoast Church. He already knows how he's going to take care of your family. He already knows how he's going to take care of the situation. The question is, is do we know who we are and that our identity comes before activity? And then in Ephesians, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God has plans for you. If you're still alive, he's not done with you. And chances are, the greatest thing he has planned for you, you haven't even done yet. You haven't even thought of yet. But, but we've, he's got huge plans for you. I know that about you. The second thing I know about you and I is that most of us have excuses as to why that is not true in our situation. You say, well, wait a minute. If I could just sit down and have coffee with you, and we can just sit down and talk, I could tell you why it's not true. And so instead of finding the favor we continue to find failure in our lives. And instead of having an expectancy of what God is going to do and the miracle that he's gonna do, we kind of have excuses as to why he won't come through. In fact, a lot of us, we feel guilty about even calling things blessings. We feel guilty about even saying that God came through because we go, well, wait a minute, maybe that's not fair. It's not fair and neither is life, but the favor of God is sweet and it's incredible in our lives. We all have excuses. There'll always be an excuse as to why God can't use you. Maybe for you, it's that you're too young. So man, I'm just too young. I'll, I'll live life a little bit more. I'll get some more excuse. I'll get some more uh, experience rather, and excuses. I'll get some more experience. I'll just live life. I'm too young. Then I look. Mary was probably 13 to 15 years old when the angel appeared to her. And here's what Mary said: "I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have spoken." What a courageous statement for a little girl to make. And if a little girl can believe in God that way and not make excuses the way that Mary did, I believe that you and I can as well. I think about Linda, who's back at Freedom Church right now. She was 15 when we started the church. She raised her hand and said, I want to be a part. I'm going to be involved in this and whatever I can do. And now, three and a half years later, she is on our worship team. She serves in various areas. But most of all, she's got influence, and God is using her in the life of people around her. Two weeks ago, three people were baptized because of the influence that Linda had in their life. She didn't say she was too young. Some of you might say, well, I'm too old. 
It's time for some other people to step up. I, I've done what I can do, and now, now I'm just too old to really, really get involved in something big for God. And I think of Abraham and Sarah, who were way too old to have children. It's gross. And God, <laughs> God used them anyway, right? I think of Caleb. He's 85 years old when he said, give me that mountain. I want a new vision, God. I want a new goal to have. He didn't say I'm too old. He said, give me something new. And guess what? If you're not dead yet, then God's not done with you. And here's what I'm learning. Old dogs can learn new tricks. I think if there's a group of people at Freedom Church, all they'd ever known is more, a more traditional way to do church. All they'd ever known is what they'd always done. But they heard a vision from a young guy who said, hey, this is what I think God wants to do in our county. And they said, I'm behind it. And they had a lot of new tricks to learn and a lot of new things to do, but they, they found God's favor. And because of that, they walked up rightly and said, we're expecting a miracle. And because of them and the, the sacrifice that they made, 175 people have been baptized at Freedom Church in three years. This Christmas, that's right, you can clap. This Christmas, all 77 foster care children in Berkeley County have been sponsored. We'll have a Christmas gift. We'll have love shown to them because of the people of Freedom Church. Nearly 600 people worship every single weekend because these people said, I'm not too old. I'll learn something new. Give me a new mountain, God. I'll do it. Maybe for some of you, your excuse is, I'm too broken. You just don't know my story, Sean. If you knew my story, man, I'm way too broken. I'm still broken, some of you would say. Still got junk that I'm dealing with. I'm just too broken. It makes me think of Samson. You know, he makes it into Hebrews 11. There's this kind of hall of faith. They just list all these people who did unbelievable things for God. And Samson makes it in there. He doesn't seem to warrant making it into that. He married poorly, had just really bad choices in his life, seemed to have some type of sexual addiction and classic underachiever, living in his mom's house, I mean, just ending life poorly. But then he's remembered for his last act in life, a heroic action that was used by God. He was too broken for the world to think he could do anything, but God said, I can heal that. I can use that. If, you're, if you'll sit in my presence, be filled with my power, I've got a purpose for you. And it makes me think about Paul. He's back at Freedom Church right now. He came into freedom. He was way too broken, way too addicted. He sat on the back row and just kind of waited, just waited and see what God would do. He said, I sat on the back row because I thought I may need to leave. May, they may ask me to leave. And then every week he'd sit a little bit closer, and every week he'd sit a little bit closer. And then I got to baptize Paul about a year and a half ago or so. I've got to see him grow in freedom and break the bondage of addiction off of his life. And now, if I were at freedom right now, he'd be on the second row right behind where my family sits. And he's worshiping and he is just in the presence of God and he's resting easier and he's not addicted anymore. He's healed. He's not too broken anymore. And I know for some of you, you come here and you think, I just, I'm too broken. I'm checking out Seacoast because I heard you can sit on the back row. You can sneak in and sneak out. And nobody will see you. They won't call any attention to you. And, and I'm just here and to tell you that you're not too broken to be used by God if you'll simply sit in his presence. And for a lot of you to say, my life just isn't favored. And I would say, you know what? It's because you think it's about you. See, you're too broken, maybe. You may be too old. It's possible. You may even be too young. I don't know. But what I know is that the favor of God is not about you. It's about God. And God chooses 
and God gives, and God is good. And when we have an expectancy that God will come into our lives, it allows us to say, you know what, there's a lot of complicated stuff going on, but our lives become a lot simpler because we become more like Jesus as we sit in God's favor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, that you want to do in us so that you can carry out a great purpose through us. And so, God, even now, we, we want to find ourselves in your presence where there's rest. We want to find ourselves in your presence where there's power. We want to find ourselves having your power and your favor so we can be filled for a purpose. God, help us during this season not to be distracted by the complexities of life, but to find your simplicity, which is Jesus. A simple baby born in a simple town, a simple stable to a simple little girl, but who had the favor of God on their life. And the Son of God, the King, was ushered into our presence, and the King is among us. And so, God, we thank you for your power and your presence and for your favor on us as churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.